right, welcome everybody to our podcast. This is our first episode that we've ever recorded. Well, actually, that's not true, but it's our second. <laughs> <laughs> it's the first one we're probably going to Re-recording. Air. Exactly. So, um, my name is Jackie, and I'm here with Kinja, and we are going to just talk today about some research about marriage. First, though, we really want to introduce ourselves a little bit more in depth. So, um, I'm Jackie Livingston. I have a husband and two little boys and a third little boy on the way. For the past three and a half years, I've been studying, my degree is called Marriage and Family Studies, but it's really a mixture of psychology and sociology with a lot of what I'm learning being based about based on research that has been done about various family dynamics and dynamics that we see within relationships. And as I've studied that, I just, you know, there's so much material that can really benefit everybody and I think it's a lot of material that people don't know is out there so we wanted to Kendra and I wanted to bring it to you so anyways Kendra do you want to talk a little bit about who you are and why you're interested in this sure so Jackie uh, Jackie and I are, are friends and we're both interested in helping families I did my undergraduate degree in sociology at Brigham Young University and then I got a master's degree in clinical social work um, specializing with children and families, and I did family education for several years, mostly parenting classes, and then uh, I taught at uh, Utah Valley University for three years as an adjunct professor teaching sociology and family studies courses, and I love helping people, and I love talking about family. Um, if there's one area that I feel like people are interested in because they know it makes an impact on their lives and their happiness. It's it's families, and I know that for myself as well. I'm also married and I have uh, a little boy. Um, so I guess if there is a bias in this show, it's probably towards little boys. <laughs> that's all we have. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But um, so yeah, so that's us, and uh, and we're really excited to talk about this, and really excited to share. So go ahead, Jackie. All right, great. Oh, it's just fun hearing about all that you've done. That's so cool. Okay, so we are going to talk today about Dr. John Gottman's famous four horsemen. So first, let's talk about who Dr. John Gottman is. Well, basically, he is a superman in the field of marital research. He has over 40 years of experience of just studying marital relationships, figuring out what is it that works in them, what is it that doesn't. This is what it says on his website, just for a little background. It says, he is world-renowned for his work on marital stability and divorce prediction. He has conducted over 40 years of breakthrough research with thousands of couples. His work on marriage and parenting has earned him numerous major awards. He is one of the top 10 most influential therapists in the past quarter century, and he's authored or co-authored over 200 published academic articles and more than 40 books. Basically, he's incredible. Do you want to go ahead, Kendra, and talk a little bit about how he would research these these marriage Yeah, he, he had a really interesting approach to studying marriage at a time when um, most marriage therapists uh, just kind of sat down and thought about, well, what do I think will help people have happy marriages? Uh, Gottman actually went out and studied uh, couples by looking at them and saying, well, what are we noticing about couples that do it right? that last and he would follow these couples for years afterwards and he he built this apartment in the uh, somewhere in the University of Washington where he worked and 
couples would come and and they'd stay there and he'd film them and he'd watch them interacting with each other and he learned a lot by watching them interact and so today we want to talk about one aspect of his research which is what he calls the four horsemen of the apocalypse he says one of the first things he noticed when studying couples was these these four patterns that that tended to lead to to divorce specifically he said when you see these four horsemen he says that he calls them the four horsemen because they sort of bode bad things in the in the relationship and so he says beware these four horsemen and he define we're, we're going to help you to def to find those in your relationship today by defining and giving them examples and showing you what you can do instead and um i guess to to introduce this at the beginning we do want to say that conflict is a part of every relationship it's a part of my relationship it's a part of jackie's it's a part of all of ours and conflict by itself is not is not a a harbinger of doom for a relationship because every relationship has conflict, including really good, healthy ones. So I think that needs to be stated first, that conflict itself is not bad. It's these it's these very specific aspects of conflict, though, that can lead to really bad things. And that's what we want to talk about today. Exactly. Well, and just to go a little bit off of that, conflict is not only not a bad thing, but it can sometimes be a good thing because it's through recognizing that there are problems that you have the motivation to find solutions. But, you know, like Kendra said, our point today is learning how to have conflict healthfully. So the first of the four horsemen is called criticism. Well, criticism is basically whenever you are attacking someone's personality or character rather than a specific behavior. So, you know, like we were just saying, conflict is an inevitable part of relationships. And it's not bad to talk about that conflict. The difference between just complaining, which is how you, you know, would go about addressing conflict, and criticism is that criticism is blaming someone specifically, whereas complaining is blaming the problem. So let me give you an example. Let's say that you and your husband had agreed that he would wash the car, but then he doesn't wash the car. A complaint would be, I am so frustrated that you didn't wash the car. You said you would do that, and you know, you didn't. So I'm, I'm just a little bit frustrated that the car is not washed. A criticism would be saying, why are you so forgetful? I hate that you never do what you say you're going to do. You obviously just don't care. So the difference here is that the complaint is about the fact that the car didn't get washed, and the criticism is about how you're saying your husband is just this forgetful jerk. So does that kind of make sense? Do you yeah. want to go off of that a little bit, Kendra? That's a really good example. It's And for all of these four that we're going to talk about, it's very much a me versus you mentality. It's not just that there's a problem to be solved. It's that you are the problem and that my problem is with who you are and how you are. And as will come up repeatedly throughout this podcast, we definitely we definitely have found, and so has Gottman, that whatever the problem is in your lives or in your relationship, it can only be solved by having a we versus the world mentality as opposed to me versus you. Um, and so attack the problem, not the person. Exactly. Yeah. And it's inter it, it's important to note that sometimes complaining doesn't necessarily sound nice or happy happy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know sometimes you're just saying oh the car isn't washed my goodness you know and you're all frustrated but the fact that you're not criticizing your partner the fact that you're not saying the problem is with them means that you know you're going to be okay and of course you know we can all work on how we say things because it's not that that doesn't matter but I guess what I'm trying to say is it's not like 
criticizing always sounds bad. It's not like complaining always sounds bad in how you say it. Does that make sense? Do you guys get what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Okay. So anyways, okay, you want to go ahead and yeah. do defensiveness. So the response to content, uh, sorry, the response to criticism usually is defensiveness, which is he says, well, how come you're so forgetful? And you say, well, how come you're so mean? Or how come I, I'm not the victim, you know, I'm the victim here. Defensiveness is when both people feel victimized by the other and neither is willing to take responsibility. And the problem with nobody taking responsibility for the problem is that you can't take responsibility for a solution. Mm -hmm. Both people feel innocent and they're not saying, I'm not responsible. You make it trying to cross complain. So he says, you know, did you call Brian Lauren? Let them know we're not coming tonight. And I said, I was way too busy today to call them. In fact, you knew how busy I was. Why didn't you just do it? So it's, it's, there's no acceptance of responsibility at all. And the solution to that is obviously to take responsibility. And it doesn't even have to be, I mean, ideally you're, you're apologizing for your actions, but it's, it's, it's better to just say, oh, you're, dang, I was supposed to do that. Dang it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, I'm so stupid, you know, like, I mean, we don't want to go there either, but, but, uh, an another theme that Gotten brings up is he calls successful couples or people who are, who continue to stay married and generally get along with each other. So mm -hmm. we're not talking about winning any awards. We're just talking about having a happy marriage and that can come mm -hmm. by just, uh, avoiding criticism and accepting responsibility. Yeah, exactly. So another point I want to make about defensiveness, which by the way, I don't know if we said this, but defensiveness is the second horseman. <laughs> so sorry. Yeah, no, it's good. So sometimes I'll just give you an example. I am a horrible arguer. If you start arguing with me, I will completely lose my head. I might start crying. I, I can't think I'm just bad. So it's because she's so nice. No, it's, it's not. So nice. <laughs> it's because I just can't. <laughs> You know, that adrenaline rush makes me unable to think clearly. So, so um, if I meet somebody or if I'm arguing with somebody who is not that way, who is very, very cool-headed and can be very logical and just articulate, if, if that person were to be defensive and just show me all of these reasons why I'm wrong and they're right and they're innocent... It would be very easy for an outsider to look at that and be like, well, Jackie is just dumb and clearly this person is correct. Does that make sense? So if you're somebody who is good at arguing and good at kind of blowing your spouse out of the water within an argument, you can logically explain why you are the victim and you and they are wrong and you are right. I guess what I'm trying to say is you're still engaging in defensiveness. Exactly. Does it that make yes. sense? Yes, and, and, and that's true for all four of these. You can be critical and you can be defensive while being really calm and really cool and and using all kinds of appropriate uh, communication techniques or whatever. Like mm -hmm. um, Fundamentally, at the end of the day, if what comes across to your spouse is that you do not accept any responsibility for the problem that's being discussed, then you are expressing defensiveness. And that is one of the main problems that can lead to divorce. Exactly. So accept responsibility for your actions, even, even if you're not to blame for the whole problem. Sometimes it's just a part of it. But when you accept responsibility for some of that, you help your spouse know that you care about them more than you care about the problem to be solved. Yeah, exactly. So, All right. Cool beans. Next of the four horsemen. This one is arguably the worst this is contempt. Contempt has been said that it is the sulfuric acid for a relationship. It includes insults, sarcasm, mockery, eye rolling, 
Basically, it is anything that conveys that the other person, their identity, their feelings, their opinions, their actions, anything about them is inherently worth less than you. So a good way to think about it is if your comment or your body language can be boiled down to, I think you are crazy, stupid, or evil, that is contempt. And just a little side note here with all of these, but I would definitely say especially with contempt, we need to remember that verbal communication is just, or nonverbal communication rather, is just as powerful as verbal communication. So if you are sitting there rolling your eyes at your spouse, you're expressing contempt and that is horrible. Or, you know, if you're saying something in a tone of voice that implies you think completely opposite of what you're saying. For example, if your husband were to say, hey, you want to go to a movie with me? And you say, well, fine, okay. You know, that, that kind of, do you get how you said the right thing, but you said it meanly? So anyways, that's my, my point is just that you got to watch out for how you say things because oftentimes contempt can be snuck in through our nonverbal communication. Yes, the other thing I want to say about this is one of the reasons that contempt is just so horrible is because it is really going back on the vows you made when you were married. So regardless of whether you believe you made those vows before God or just before the state, you need to recognize that in choosing to marry someone, you are essentially saying to the world that you will be in this person's corner when nobody else will. That you will be their cheerleader, you will be their lover, you will be their friend, you will be their their guy forever. And when you express contempt, when you put down who they are, you are going back on that vow. And that's not to say that you need to pretend like your spouse is perfect, because of course they're not. But you have made a promise to be their friend and to be there for them and to love them regardless of of all, you know, does that make sense? That mm-hmm. and, yeah. and so when you're saying like, oh, you, I just can't stand you, that's, that's just a mockery of that precious vow that you made. And another thing is we can express contempt in how we talk about our spouse to other people. Mm-hmm. I always cringe inside. When I hear people talk about their significant other in these negative tones, mm-hmm. when they're painting them out to be stupid, like when they're telling a story, you know, where their spouse maybe did something kind of embarrassing or dumb, and they make, and, and they really just emphasize how dumb they were, or or when they're frustrated about something within their relationship, and so they're telling their frustrations to somebody or a group of people, and they're just trying to emphasize how they're the smart ones and their spouses the dumb ones. I just think that contempt can be shown not only in how you talk to your spouse, but how you talk about their spouse. And any form of contempt within a relationship is not a good thing. Yeah, super, super bad. And I think, um, I'm, I think I like the fact that these four horsemen, they are also kind of progressive. Usually criticism starts in a relationship. It's met with defensiveness. And if it's not addressed, it can escalate to contempt. Contempt goes from just saying, you know, complaining would be, are you serious? The floor still isn't clean. Criticism would be, you never clean the floor. You're so dirty. And contempt is, you're a, you're an effing pig. Like, why don't you get your life together? You're such a loser. Like contempt is name calling. Contempt is Mm -hmm. when somebody says they're sorry and you're like, oh, I bet you're sorry. You're just so sorry all the time. Um, anytime you're making fun of somebody, not only are you saying that I'm on, not on your team, you're saying you don't really deserve to be on anybody's team because you're just basically a worthless human being. So 
You can see why that's yeah. really bad. And the and the thing about contempt to the other person is if somebody fundamentally doesn't believe that you're a worthwhile human being and that you don't even deserve respect, how do you respond to that? Like, how, how can you even have a conversation yeah. and reply to their comments? Because anything you say is filtered through, yeah, exactly. well, I guess I'm a loser, so how am I supposed to even talk to you and, like, try to compromise and try to problem solve? So it shuts down the argument mm-hmm. entirely. So super bad. Exactly. Yeah, before we go into the next one, I just want to say one more thing about contempt. So oftentimes when you are feeling this way about your spouse, if you are feeling that they are just this horrible human being, you probably have some sort of a reason for feeling that way. So the question may be, okay, I'm feeling this way. What do I do about it? And some people try to change their spouse by using contempt. They think that if they're just mean enough or if they complain enough or if they or I mean, if they criticize enough, if they're rude enough, somehow their spouse will want to change. So I think that what Kendra and I are trying to say here is it's not that these feelings of frustration with our spouse don't exist. It's how we deal with them. And it's important to recognize that if you have come to a place in your relationship where you are thinking very lowly of your spouse, then there needs then some work needs to be done. That work can be done with a therapist or through other relationship guides, but you just, that that's a good red flag that, you know what, there's something not going right here and I need to do some work to, to get myself to a place where I can respect and appreciate mm-hmm. my spouse, regardless of what they choose mm-hmm. to do. Does that yeah. make sense? Um, I like, uh, I like the idea of finding ways to respect and appreciate your spouse, even if you have really serious problems with each other. Um, and that's because, mm-hmm. um, fundamentally every person is worthy of respect and the reason for that is is because we're all members of the same human race and if we expect respect from others then we need to give it um we can respect other people and say well you know i wouldn't make the same choices that you make and if i were you i'd certainly put my socks in the hamper and not on the floor or if i were you i certainly wouldn't want to spend every single sunday night dinner at my mother's house you know mm-hmm. <laughs> but you can say you know what but if i were in your shoes and i had been raised in your family and in your culture and in your environment i would probably think and act and believe the same as you do and so mm-hmm. even though i disagree with you because i am from a different place and from a different background and different education or whatever I can still respect you. And, and yeah. I, I think it goes without saying that that's a principle that applies to everyone, not just your spouse. Yeah, well, and it's just finding ways to see life from the other person's perspective. And so let's move on to stonewalling, because this is often the result of contempt in the other of the forces. Yeah, we talked about how there's really no response to contempt. Like once somebody has, is swearing at you and and treating you like a worthless human being, it's really hard to respond. And after a, a repeated pattern of criticism and contempt and, and defensiveness, which which usually goes two ways, um, to some extent, it ends with stonewalling. And stonewalling is when you go from poor communication to just shutting down entirely and just not saying anything. Um, it, it conveys a message of disapproval, of distance, sometimes smugness. And, and often, if, if one person's really upset, it can make them even more upset. Uh, Gottman found, I, of all the horsemen, this is the one that is 85% done by men 
It may be related to men's physiology since men's heart rates are more likely to increase during conflict than women's. And men take longer to calm down after a fight or an argument than women do, uh, which I think is interesting. And so if you've got an, the stereotypical nagging wife who's saying, well, what do you have to say to that? Or why did you do that? And he doesn't say anything. Well, look at me when I'm talking to you. Are you even listening to me? And he doesn't say anything. And eventually it just goes to silence. Well, it's almost like you've resigned yourself to never solving the problem. And, mm -hmm. and when that happens, when you find that either you or your spouse is just shutting down and not saying anything anymore, then it's time to soothe each other. Gottman talks about how do we soothe each other? Well, we find ways to bring positive communication back into the conversation. And positive communication does not, I mean, it could be something like, I love you or I'm sorry. It could also be something as simple as changing the subject or commenting on something unrelated or cracking a joke, anything, but a way to break it up. Yeah, something like self-deprecating humor. Yes. Like one thing that I notice when I'm starting to get a little heated, so I'm, I'm pregnant right now, and that means that sometimes I can be a little, I have these crazy mood swings because of my hormones, and I'll just be like starting to feel really upset about something that's really silly. And even though I'm feeling that upset, I can just be like, you know what? I'm just being hormonally crazy right now, but I need you to hear me. You know what I mean? So it's just kind of recognizing that I guess it, it's being willing to crack a joke at yourself. And, and these are just little ways that we can kind of bring the tension down. I remember from his book, The Seven Principles That Make Marriage Work, one of the examples that John Gottman gives is, is if in the middle of an argument, the wife sticks her tongue out at the husband. Do you know what I mean? Like just something that's kind of silly that gets back to the idea that, okay, essentially at the end of the day, we are on the same team. We're just trying to figure this out. And you know, stonewalling is different from just taking a break because sometimes that's the best way to soothe mm -hmm. yourself. Sometimes you do just need to say, okay, I love you, but I, I've got to talk about this in a little bit because I'm starting to freak out. Mm -hmm. And some people that drives them nuts, but other people, it's like, you just need to take a little break. And that's a good thing to do. So, so don't think that if, unless you solve all of the issues right there, you're stonewalling because that's not true. Right. So I want to give an example of, of what Jackie's talking about as far as reducing the tension. Um, my father-in-law and mother-in-law were in the kitchen. I don't even remember what they were arguing about, but they, they were arguing about something and it was like, and it started getting more and more heated and I was really uncomfortable because I'm standing right there watching my in-laws like really arguing loudly at each other. And at one point, my father-in-law just says, Mary, get yourself under control. And then he puts his hand out and, she, and this is clearly something that has happened before. He grabs, a, she grabs a marker and writes the word control on his hand and then puts it over her oh head. Oh my goodness. That's so It was cute. so funny. And like, they both started laughing. Like... <laughs> it's like they totally took this inside joke about get yourself under control and like yeah. totally diffused exactly. a conflict That's situation. Perfect. So learning how to do that is one of the best things you can do for your marriage. Yeah. yeah. Well, and we're kind of already going into this, but these examples that we're talking about are called repair attempts, which is something that Gottman noticed that when couples would use repair attempts, that was a really good sign for them, especially when those repair attempts were accepted. So for example, if Kendra's father-in-law had done that joke, but then the mother-in-law had been like, no, you stop it. We are serious right now. How dare you make light of this? If she had not laughed, 
then that repair attempt would have failed. So when you notice that there's tension and your spouse tries to ease the tension, accept it because that yeah. that helps. Or you try to use a repair attempt, you know? So I can I can give another example. So watching another couple fighting and then they kind of take a break and then he comes over and gives her a kiss. And mm-hmm. you know that that's a repair attempt. That's a way of saying I still love you. This is not a big deal. You're more important to me than this issue. And instead of kissing him back, she said, Ew, your lips are gross right now. Oh, that's sad. Sad, right? Doesn't that, that make you sad? It broke my heart inside? a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> it, made it's me, a hard thing it broke to my do. heart a little bit too, right? But he, he was clearly trying to make things better, and she was like, No. You, you, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not going to let you make things better. I want things to stay tense between us because I still see this as a me versus you thing. So yes, making and accepting repair attempts. Cool, cool stuff. Yeah. So we've talked about the four horsemen: criticism, defensiveness, contempt, and stonewalling. And again, he's he doesn't say that if these things are present in your relationship, that your relationship is doomed. He just says that if that pattern doesn't change that almost always leads to really serious problems. So he's saying, you know, address it quickly. And repair attempts are one of those. Another thing he talks about is after watching all of these couples interacting with each other for years, he noticed that there was kind of a five to one ratio of positive to negative communication that he saw in the marriages that lasted. In other words, couples that that were still together 10 years after he, he studied them, generally had about five positive interactions for every one negative one. And remember that a negative interaction doesn't have to be a, a, a criticism. It could be that I didn't pay attention to, to something you said. It could be um, disagreeing with something you said even. So a positive interaction could be a compliment. It could be a positive facial expression. Like we talked about repair attempts, it could be an attempt to tell a joke or, you know, just genuinely listening. And if we do those, if we're doing about five times as many of those things as we are to criticism or to just disagreeing or ignoring or things that are not positive, it's like a relationship bank account. And our relationship with our spouse is like a piggy bank and we need to put in more than we take out. We always want to have a positive balance. And especially when there has been a lot of negative communication lately, when things have been taken out of your relationship with them, when somebody was late to pick up the other person, when somebody dumped on the other person, when you guys haven't had a lot of time together, those are all negative things that you're taking out of your relationship. Then, then it's time to make sure you're putting more positive in. Um, and that's, I mean, that's not just a, a solution for the four horsemen. That's kind of my guiding principle for my marriage. I'm like, you know, how are we doing? Do we have a positive balance in our bank account? Is it a really positive balance? Or do we need to go on a date? Do I need to do something nice for my husband? Um, and to keep that, that five to one ratio mm-hmm. like Gottman talks about or more um, makes yeah. things good. Yeah, that's so true. And just, so sometimes the reason that we engage in these four horsemen is because there's something within our relationship, something that our spouse is consistently doing that is really, really hard on us. So I think that there's two general categories of things that can be hard. One are things that are just typical annoyances. I had a professor once who counseled us and said, you know what, 99% of the time with those annoyances, it's better to just change yourself and decide that you love this person more than than the annoyance itself. 
And I think that that's pretty good counsel. Again, if there's something that is that your spouse consistently does that just drives you bonkers, of course, bring it up. Get rid of that, you know, get rid of that conflict. However, if it's just a little thing, like I'm going to give a really quick example. I've been married for over four years. Um, it'll be five in December. So almost, you know, a little, actually a little over four years. Anyways, for the first two years of my marriage, I, every time I brush my teeth, I'd get water all over the sink. And I didn't know I did that. And it really bugged my husband. But he decided that he just didn't really, it, it just wasn't worth it to him to bring it up, which I think is silly. He totally should have. But anyways, it was, he didn't want to because he's just not, he's an easygoing guy. And finally, somebody asked him for an assignment, you know, what is something that your wife does that kind of bugs you? And that was the thing that he brought up. And I was like, oh my goodness, honey, I'm so, so, so sorry. And so I tried to do better, but I misunderstood what his complaint was. I thought that it was that I didn't get my toothbrush clean enough. So I would try to clean my toothbrush extra well because I thought I was fixing this, the problem. And I and that ended up making more of a mess on the sink. Anyways, I did that for another year before he mentioned that that was exactly not, you know, that that wasn't what he w wanted. Anyways, but... And, and that to me was just an example of, you know, sometimes it's just not really worth it to bring stuff up. It's just kind of a little annoyance. At the beginning of our marriage, I, I asked him if we should do like a companionship inventory each week to kind of get over little complaints we might be having. And he just said, you know, I think that for me that would do more harm than good because I don't want to think about the things that are bugging me about you. And I really appreciated that. So so that's one category. Sometimes the problems are just kind of minor and it's kind of just not worth it to bring it up. It's not worth it to, to put those negative things into our relationship, mm -hmm. right? Going back to the bank mm -hmm. account balance. Now, on the other hand, there may be something that is a big deal. Maybe your spouse is dealing with an addiction that's hurting your family or some behaviors that are really, really harmful. Those things are something that needs to be addressed and you certainly should but one thing that is important to realize is using the four horsemen is never going to positively change your spouse Agreed. you can never yeah. shame anybody into true change some people are shamed into into making changes in their life but it won't be changes in the heart and just going back to the whole concept of you promise to be your spouse's cheerleader think about if you were dealing with something really hard or a weakness that you had would it be more helpful to have somebody coming from behind you, slapping you and yelling at you and trying really hard to shame you into change? Or would it be more helpful to have someone who was your cheerleader, who was your advocate, who took, who stood by your side and, and, and didn't accept your poor behavior, but who loved you and was willing to be the helper that you need, the support you need? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Is that difference yeah. clear? So that, that's my point here is that we're not saying you shouldn't ever be ups upset with your spouse, you know, or if they're being dumb, just let it happen. I guess what we're saying is there are better ways to deal with problems than using the four horsemen. And if you are tempted to use the four horsemen, then you need to realize that there's a problem and it can be addressed, but it needs to be addressed in a different way. Also, just as a final note, I think recognizing when you're doing these is, is the biggest and most important first step. And there are lots of examples that Gottman gives, and you can look them up online. If you just type in Gottman, it's G-O-T-T-M-A-N, Gottman's Four Horsemen. You can see lots of examples online 
um, and video clips from TV shows and things like that on YouTube that will help you to get a better sense of what it looks like when somebody uses criticism versus complaining or contempt versus respect um, in a relationship. And that'll help you hopefully to identify when you are doing that in your relationships as well. And again, not just marriage relationships, but any relationships. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, and as a final, final note, I want to add one little quote that is kind of the basis of why we're talking about this. A leader that Kendra and I really respect, who had a great marriage himself and was a champion of the family, he said, while marriage is difficult and discordant and frustrated, marriages are common, yet real lasting happiness is possible. And marriage can be more an exultant ecstasy than the human mind can conceive, end quote. And I really want to reiterate that principle. Marriage can be a beautiful, wonderful, incredible way to find support in your life if you're willing to put in the time. And that's why Kendra and I are here because we believe that if everybody has happy relationships within their marriages, within their families, then so many of the world's issues would be solved because mm -hmm. I think a lot of us are not getting the fundamental love that we need to be happy, healthy human beings. So that's mm -hmm. why we're here, to give you guys the tips that you need to help your families be as strong as they can be. And we hope this has been helpful. So yeah, thank you for your download and join us next time at our podcast, which is currently unnamed, but we will name it soon. Thank you. Bye.